uh, some that may be sick, some may be missionaries all over the world, but uh, the message part of our, our uh, service every Sunday is on Facebook Live, so uh, I'm not encouraging you to stay home and watch Facebook Live, but you can if you are sick. And I know we have a group of about 10 that are traveling back from Mexico today, and uh, so they are, in fact, the last trip we went on in December to Mexico was one of the reasons that got us uh, motivated to have this Facebook Live so that uh, our own people could watch online. And we've also had some great feedback from our missionaries all over the world who also get to be a part uh, of our service. And so I would encourage you, grab your bulletin this morning, get that out. If you don't have a pen, there's one in the pew there in front of you. Uh, get that pen, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter number 1. So if you want to turn to Philippians 1, we're going to... Uh, read the whole chapter, not all at one time, but we'll get through the entire chapter this morning. And we're going to give you a quick overview of this first chapter. And uh, you can see on the screen here, it's the pursuit of joy. And so Philippians really is about Paul writing to believers how they can have joy even in difficult circumstances. Um, the title there, you, you see on the bulletin, it says, uh, Rejoice in your suffering. And... I guess maybe before I even got in here this morning, um, I was very reluctant to use the word that's in the title, suffering. And, um, and the reason is, is because um, I would say in my, in my life, I'm not sure if the circumstances or problems that I have would necessarily classify as suffering. Um, I would encourage you, if you have not yet gone to see uh, the movie, The Apostle Paul. Any, anybody seen that movie yet? Uh, Paul the Apostle. Um, let me encourage you to go watch that. Um, it will give you a great context for what many believe was the situation that Paul wrote this book to the church of Philippi. You remember in Acts chapter number 16 when, when Paul and Timothy and Tylus, they, uh, they were, Silas, excuse me, they were trying to figure out where they were going to go next, and they wanted to go north. No, we're not going to go there. God for, forbids us to go there. It's a closed door. No, we're going to go this direction. No, God says, no, you're not going to go there. And he sends them to Macedonia. And when they go to Macedonia, remember the first person, the first convert they have is Lydia there in Philippi. And Lydia is saved and becomes a, a, where a church is planted there. And remember, they're in the jail in Philippi, and the and, and they're released from the earthquake, and they're, the, remember the Philippian jailer is going to kill himself, but Paul says, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. And, and eventually then, that night, that jailer gives his life to Jesus Christ, and then goes home, and his entire family gives their life to Christ. And this is that church, this is the group that Paul was writing the book of Philippians 2, to encourage them in their faith, that in their suffering, they can still have joy. And to realize that joy is not based on my circumstances, joy is based on a person. So in your, in your bulletin there, you have this definition. So really the, the dictionary definition of joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I think we all get that. But on your outline this morning, uh, there is uh, right under the point number one, and so you're going to have to hold on to that for a minute. All right, But you can read, a, this is a definition defined by John Piper based on what he felt Paul was trying, the point that Paul was trying to make in this book, Philippians, a good feeling in the soul produced by the Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. 
So there's some key words when you think about that, that sentence there, that statement, that definition is that this feeling, this good feeling, when we think about joy in spite of our circumstances, that's not produced by me and my will and my desires, this feeling of joy in spite of my circumstances, joy in suffering, is produced by who? Some of you read it, right? The Holy Spirit. It's God in me. The, the song we just sang, Christ is enough. So is Christ enough for me to walk through my circumstances, whether I'm going to classify them as suffering or just I had a bad day, that I can see God in the world and in his word. And, and it's the Holy Spirit in me, it's Christ in me that produces joy in spite of my circumstances. And if you watch the movie, you're going to realize that and this is why I was very reluctant. I watched this movie uh, Friday night. I was very reluctant to use the word suffering. The early Christians suffered. And Paul was writing this, most scholars would say, at the time when he was in prison, probably close to when he would be beheaded. And he's writing to the Christians who are being persecuted to stay in the faith, to stay strong, to stay steadfast. The, the mission, the mission was to reach the world, the known world, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in spite of the suffering, during this period of time when Nero burned most of Rome down, and, and that's what history would tell us, and Nero tried, uh, it, it's interesting that most people begin to realize that Nero was the one who burned Rome down. And so in order to divert the attention from himself, that he was the one that orchestrated this, so he could expand his palace and have a better place, was that he began to blame Paul and the Christians, they were the ones that burned Rome down. And because of them having buy into that, then they used unbelievable torture to those Christians. In fact, history would teach us that they would use them as streetlights. They would put fuel on them and light them at night to light the street. Because they claimed Jesus was the Messiah. And I'm, I'm thankful that where I live today, that's not for me. And so now you under, understand why I wrestle with the title to say Joy in Suffering. A few weeks ago, we were in Cuba. We had the opportunity to meet with several of those pastors. We were at a seminary that's been in existence since like 1906. And they had, I think there was nine presidents of that school on the wall for us to look at their pictures. And almost every one of those, but the last two, were imprisoned for their faith. You know, in our, in our world today, there is more persecution of those who claim the name of Jesus Christ than ever before in the history of the world. People all over the world today are being persecuted for their faith. And so, again, you know why I am reluctant to say that we should rejoice in our, I would say, problems. Because we, we do have problems, right? And you, you have real fear and real anxiety and real issues that you're dealing with. Maybe not classified as suffering for the name of Jesus, but... The principles are transferable. So let's walk through this book and, and this chapter this morning and, and think about 
what Paul, how did Paul handle this? How could Paul write this book? And if you read through, I want, I want to challenge you, read through Philippians. It doesn't take very long. Uh, I read somewhere, and then I couldn't even find out where I read it. Uh, someone had said that there was 20 times in the book, in, in these four chapters, that the word rejoice or joy or glad is in this, these four chapters. And so I read through this, this book like five, six different times, and I only found 19 and then I couldn't find the source that said there was 20, and so I'm really angry right now. But I'm trying to rejoice in spite of my suffering, right? So read, it, it doesn't take very long to read the, the, the few pages here. And read it, and I want you to highlight joy, rejoice, glad, or gladness. And if you find 20, don't tell me. I mean, I, I guess I want you to tell me. But let's read the first three verses. And so number one in your outline, if you're, uh, if you're taking notes, number one, prayer in his pain. How did Paul deal with suffering? He prayed. The first two verses there kind of give an introduction to the book, but let's begin reading verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you and with affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of the righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is in prison. And we can definitely assume by history and by what we read in other texts in scripture that this wasn't necessarily a pleasant stay in prison. And yet while he's in prison, he is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. And in midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, he prays. And who is he praying for? Other believers. Other people who are facing persecution. And I think for us, sometimes in our own, we all deal with issues, we all have real pain and real hurts and and life situations that are coming at us so fast and we don't know what to do. And I think sometimes the best thing for us to do, maybe the most therapeutic thing for us to do, is to stop looking at our problems and our issues and start praying for other people's problems and other people's issues. And that's why I wrestle with talking about my own life and my quote-unquote suffering, because the reality is most people in the world have it, have it worse than I do. And so Paul takes his eyes off his own problem, his own imprisonment, his own suffering, his own issues, and he prays. And there's like three things here listed in your bulletin that he prays for. And, and the first one, verse number five, he says, thanks, he thanks them for their partnership, if you're taking notes. Verse five, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the reasons that he's writing this book in, uh, to the church at Philippi is to thank them for their generosity. He's thanking them for their participation, not just in sharing the gospel, but part of that participation in sharing the gospel was their generosity to give so that the gospel could move forward. And this week, many of us in, in the mail this week, 
Uh, and it was the first quarter of the year, and many of us got a uh, report of how generous we have been to the church this past three months. And for some of us, it's a time to rejoice. God, thank you for allowing me to be a part. And the truth is, for some of you, if, if Paul's writing this letter to thank the church for their generosity, let's, let's personalize this for a minute. Could he write the letter to you? Because in chapter 4, he talks about that. Verse, verse uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he talks about their generosity. And several times they've given an offering to fulfill the ministry and to, to see that the gospel moves forward. And, and, and verse 17, to me, is a key for all of us to understand in our giving. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And Paul is saying that when you give to the Lord through the church, that your gift, your offering, as Ben mentioned, is a sign of your dependence on God. It's an opportunity for you to worship God and, and to bless Him and what He's blessed you with. Then Paul would add to that to say, he's also saying that, so all the things that Hallmark Baptist Church is involved in locally, in our community, all over the world, when you give, what Paul is saying here, there is fruit added to your account. There's blessings to you because you have given. This week I got the opportunity to sit down uh, with one of our, our missionaries, Brother Laverne Rogers. And Laverne Rogers, I believe, is about to turn 91 or is 91. And I love, every time he comes in my office and we talk, and I think about the encouragement he is. You know, he hopped on a boat to go to Japan. It took him a couple months to get there. They were on a cargo ship with fluorescent light bulbs. Great accommodations, I'm sure. He picked up a book on the way there at the library that said, 30 days to learn the Japanese language. And that's all he knew of the language. Lands in Japan, knows no one. Uh, they don't have Google. No internet, no computer. And here he is, 91 years old. And he sits him off and says, I have a vision to reach the young people of my city. And he'll t if you want to sit down and talk to him, he'll tell you 1% of Japan one of the most unreached countries in the world. And he sets to my office this week, and, and I hope I'm not giving too much information, Brother Laverne, but he has this almost, his word he used, embarrassment, that he's been there all these years, and 1% of the country is saved. And, and so, if you want to sit down with Brother Laverne Rogers, he's had problems over the years. He's dealt with a lot of things. But what Paul is telling us is, get your eyes off your problems and look at other people's problems. Pray for God to move in their life. And Paul is thanking them that, that they were generous enough to give. And, and, and Laverne, again, would say, thank you, Hallmark, for being generous so he can go. It's the same thing. Look at the next verse, number six. So Paul's thanking them for their partnership. Number six, he's thanking them for, the, or he's reminding them of their position. This is one of my, uh, I, I did not realize this, but I, this is, um, and maybe I did and I forgot. 
This is uh, my father's life verse, Philippians 1.6, being confident that very thing that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the reason I have it memorized is because it's my life verse, and I didn't realize it was his life verse. I guess I stole his life and his verse. Then I also realized that my twin brother, guess what his life verse is? Philippians 1.6, being confident is the very thing that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You, if you are a believer, you have Christ in you. We just sang it, Christ is what? Enough. Is Christ enough for you? And Paul is reminding them, listen, I know you have issues, and I know you have problems, and I know you're suffering, and I know life is difficult, but you have the power of God in you. Christ in you. Isn't that a great thing to remember when life stinks? Because sometimes life does stink, doesn't it? And sometimes life is difficult and life is hard. But when I realize I have Christ, the power of the resurrection, Paul says, is in me. And with God, nothing is impossible. Number three, or the next bullet point here under prayer. Verse number nine, he encourages them to love more and more. The, the royal law, we've been walking through the book of James on Wednesday nights at 6.30 in the chapel. And we talk about the royal, law, the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And nothing gets your eyes off yourself more than to go out and love people and to serve and to share. Encourage, continue to love. Because what they were faced with was not love, they were faced with hate. Right? They were faced with hate. Either denounce Jesus and die. If you don't, walk away from your faith. Love more and more. Let's continue, all right? So number two, we could spend a long time on there, but number two. We have prayer in the pain. Number two, progress in the pain. Look at verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Lord who's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me to the ministry. And I'm in the wrong verse 12. Did you guys figure that out? If you didn't figure it out, you're not paying attention, all right? I'm in Timothy, verse 12. I was like, that doesn't sound right. How many of you saw my pages turn and you were waiting for me to mess up? All right. Verse 12, Philippians, we're in 1, chapter 1 now. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have more uh, actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Think about the power of that statement. I'm in prison and it's worked out great. Not for me so much, but for everyone to hear about Jesus. Because then he goes on to say, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, to all the rest, that my chains are in who? Christ. Christ in me. Christ has a plan. God has a purpose. Verse 14, And most of the brethren of the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'll be completely honest, this doesn't make sense to me. The next bullet point there says uh, about boldness. And it seems to me in my mind that if I see my friend being beaten and persecuted and imprisoned waiting for his death, that I'm not going to be so bold. Like, I don't want the same fate he does. But what Paul is saying is that because he faced the persecution in Christ, Christ in him, that it allowed other believers to say, if Paul can do it, I can do it. 
You ever see someone have boldness and step out, and then you realize, oh, I'm, I'm going with that guy, right? It's, it's kind of like the invitation every Sunday morning. If no one's going, I ain't going, right? But when someone steps out, oh, okay, well, they went. I guess I can go. And, and that's, that's the understanding here. Paul is saying, God has allowed me to be faithful in prison. God has allowed progress in my pain that all the palace guard knows the name of Jesus Christ. And in my weakness, in my suffering, other believers have become more bold. Look at verse number 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. He had said a few verses earlier that some people are preaching only to make his imprisonment worse. But then he goes on to say, I don't care why they preach. As long as the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. He says, I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. What is he saying? As long as people hear about Jesus, I'm going to rejoice. Whether it turns out good for me or not, I'm going to rejoice. Number three, purpose in the pain. There's prayer in the pain. There's progress in the pain. Number three, there's purpose in the pain. Look at verse number 19. We're going to read through 26. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in the body, whether by life or by death. What is Paul saying here? I don't care if I die, I don't care if I live, as long as who gets the glory? God, Christ. As long as Jesus' name is magnified and God is glorified, then do whatever you want with me. If it means hanging me in the streets and lighting me to light the way, so be it. As long as Jesus is magnified and God is glorified, I'm in. I'm not sure if I could say that. Verse 21. Most of us know this verse. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is what? Gain. Paul is saying, for, for me personally, Paul is stating, it's better if I'm dead. And, and I'd probably say the same thing if I was in the prison he was sitting in. But, but what is, look, look at the next verse. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul knew to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For those of us who are believers who placed our faith in Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying, this suffering here on the earth that I'm facing, I would rather be in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? But, verse 24, nevertheless, To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Man, Paul is so kingdom-minded, isn't he? So others-centered. If if my suffering will bring boldness to you, which will allow you to tell someone else about Jesus Christ, 
then leave me in prison. Let me suffer. Verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. What a perspective. There's three statements here on your bulletin. I want you to fill these out. I think these are powerful statements that if you are struggling right now, maybe you're going through a trial, maybe you're going through a testing, maybe you're going through some suffering or difficult circumstances, here's some perspective Paul would give. And these are not original to me. I don't know who made these up. I've heard these over the years. These three statements. God can make your mess his message. God can make your mess his message. Rick Warren says, God never wastes a hurt. God wants to turn the mess. Maybe you've created the mess. That's why it says your mess into what? His message of redemption, of forgiveness, of restoration, of reconciliation, of second chances, of hope, of peace, of joy. And if, if, if you've experienced God's forgiveness in your mess, he wants to use that for his message. The second one here, God can make his test your testimony. So James talks about, you know, testing and temptation. Satan will tempt us, God tests us. And so it says here, God can make his test your what? Testimony. You know, the most powerful tool that you have for God's glory is your story. It's how God redeemed you. That's why if you've come into this church very often, you probably could remember that I got saved when I was 17 years old at Brownwood Youth Camp. How many of you already knew that, right? How many people know your story? And Paul is saying, look, if, if my story, if my suffering will cause someone to know the name of Jesus Christ, bring on the test. Bring it on. The third one, your setback may be a setup for his glory. Your setback may be a setup for his glory. And Paul just talks over and over in this chapter better for me to die but if God can get more glory in me living and suffering in this prison now bring me joy the Holy Spirit will allow me through me what's the word here he will produce joy in me number four persistence in the pain persistence in the pain um, this is not a fun one, just to be honest with you, right? Just pursue God, be persistent. Let's read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 27. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may, bear of, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. You see that word? Paul is saying, look, I know it's tough. I'm suffering. You're going to suffer. And just a side note here, 
If someone ever tells you if you give your life to Jesus Christ that everything's going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns, not, that's not whatever God promised in his word. In fact, the opposite is what he says. They will hate you because they first hated me, is what Jesus said. There will be persecution. We're blessed right now in our culture, in our country, that we don't face persecution like the early church did. But God doesn't promise that all your bills are going to be paid if you just call out on his name. Like, you've got to get to work. Right? Was Dave, Dave Ramsey said, you need more money, you need more jobs. Right? Go to work. Paul says, I want to hear, verse 27, that you're standfast. I love the next part of this. It says, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Do you, you get the, the picture of unity there? L- look at that verse. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. What's the, what's, the uni, what's the unifier of the church? What's the unifier of this local body of Christ? It's the rest of that verse. Let's read verse 27 again. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for what reason? For the faith of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. For the same reason that Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That I'm willing to put down my initiative, my plans, my goals, my purpose for what? The greater good, the greater plan, the greater purpose. And that is that people may know the name of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. It goes on in verse number 28. And not in my in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe. Look at that verse again, 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. When you read that really quickly, maybe you miss something. It has been granted unto you to believe in Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning because of how good you are? Do you know Jesus Christ because you just thought one day, I need God? That you came to God on your own initiative? Do you know God chose you before the foundation of the world? And Paul is saying here, You've been granted. You've been given the gift to know Jesus Christ. And not only that, here's the bad part, all right? Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You've been given the gift to know Jesus Christ. And also the gift to do what? Suffer. That I can rejoice in suffering if I'm in Christ. Because God's going to use my pain for his progress and his purpose. Do you want to be a part of what God's doing? Verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Just being an example. 
You know, we've talked about this a few times, but, but Hallmark, we, our purpose statement, if you go on the website, you'll see it right there front and center. Hallmark exists to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And that's what Paul is saying here. That if we keep our eye on the mission, the purpose, to, to bring honor and glory and to magnify the name of Jesus Christ so that God would be glorified, then, then God says, I will, I will bring joy in spite of your circumstances, if we stay true to the mission. And here's what I'm afraid of in, in a lot of, of our churches all across the country. That we've become comfortable thinking we have reached the lost. And, and I told you, I sat down a Thursday morning with Brother Rogers and he talked about Japan and, and the passion and the burden the heart he has and starting a youth camp to reach the next generation to see more people come to know Jesus Christ and just the burden that God put on his heart. He said when MacArthur gave the, the, the call, we need missionaries to go in Japan and give the gospel, that 500 missionaries with him went into Japan because MacArthur said they need Jesus. And he's the last one there of that 500. And the burden on his heart to reach the unreached. And I think we in our country have become, have become comfortable and we probably wouldn't voice it, we wouldn't say it, but our actions would say, if they want to know about Jesus, they'll know about Jesus, that we live in America. Uh, I got some information about our demographic here, just numbers, that within a mile of our church, 18,000 people live within a mile of our church. Within three miles, 82,000 people live. Within five miles, 185,000 people live. Now, just based on uh, statistics, they, they say in America, the statistics say that 40% of Americans go to church every Sunday. But church records say 20% of Americans go to church every Sunday. Are you tracking with that? And are a lot of people lying and saying they're going to church, right? 20% of the people in America go to church. That means 148,000 people within five miles of our church don't go to church every Sunday morning. There's a lot of lost people out there. Did you know that one out of every five people in America who are lost? So think about this. One out of every five people in America who are lost don't even know a Christian. 20% of the people in America who are lost don't even know a Christian. Does that, does that just kind of warp your thinking a little bit? When I read that, I didn't believe it. Do we really, let, let's internalize this for a moment. Do I really, for the sake of the gospel, have a burden for those people that don't know Jesus? Let me think about that. 148,000 people within five miles of this church are still at home. A great many of them because they don't know Jesus. And 20% of those don't even know someone that knows Jesus. 
how serious are we about the mission we've been given? Paul, suffering in prison, said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wanted to reach, if, if him suffering could reach one more person for Christ, he would do it. That's how Paul could have joy in prison. Because his mindset wasn't on his problems, his mindset was on the mission. What has God called me to do? And if I can bring God glory and honor in this prison, then leave me here. Would you close your eyes for a minute this morning? What's so great about God is that this morning, as, as reluctant as I was to call it suffering, did you know that whatever, however big, small, however you want to classify the problem you walked in with this morning, God cares about that. that that's why the scripture that uh, Ben referenced in Matthew, talking about the birds of the air, and God takes care of them. And it says, if one falls to the ground, does not God, your heavenly Father, know that that bird? And then he says, you are of more value, not than one sparrow, does he say. You are of more value than many. So I don't want this morning for you to hear that, that I want to minimize your hurt or your problem or what you walked in with this morning. Because God cares about it. God knows about it. And God wants you to give it to him. And he is the one that can bring joy in your suffering. But for some of us, what needs to happen in our life, me included, is that I need to get off my eyes off my circumstances and get my eyes on God. What he wants to do in me and through me. One last statement and we're going to pray. We will never understand the purpose in our pain until we understand the cross is bigger than our crisis. We will never understand the purpose in our pain until we understand the cross is bigger than our crisis. Aren't you glad we serve a big God? This morning, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a, a song of worship. Oh, come to the altar. And I just want to encourage you this morning, whatever God may be dealing with you in your heart this morning, maybe it's to join the church. Maybe it's to give your life to Jesus Christ and, and you need to do that. You don't have a moment in time like I did when I was age 17. Maybe today it's, again, just to come forward and say, God, you know the struggle, you know the hurt, you know the pain, and God, I need help. Maybe this morning it's God saying, you know what, you need to get your eyes off your circumstances and get your eyes on the cross. Maybe there's pain and suffering in your life because God wants to use your pain for his glory. And so in a moment we're going to stand and I'm just going to encourage you if you want to spend some time with God in prayer to come forward and do that. There'll be some of us standing here this morning we're going to be facing you. If you would like for someone to pray with you, we would be glad to pray with you. If you want to pray alone, then you can come forward and pray alone. You can sit on the front row. You can kneel at the altar. Just seek God. The pursuit of joy really is the pursuit of Jesus. Jesus brings joy. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. And God, I pray 
Lord, I, I ask that you would forgive me. Because in my own life, Lord, oftentimes, many times, even this week, Lord, I, I put my eyes on my circumstances instead of you. Lord, if you can use circumstances in my life to bring yourself glory and honor, then, Lord, I want that, whatever that is. Lord, I want to have the words and the boldness of Paul to say, for me to live and to Christ is gain. I want to see your glory in this place. God, I want to see this community reached. 148,000 people right in this community that are not in church right now and they need to hear the name of Jesus. May you break our hearts for those who don't know you. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's worship together. If you'd like to pray, I would encourage you to do so this morning.